Episode 3, Cohorts. Today we are talking about uh, segments and cohorts. Do you have a technical problem? You can't hear anything. Uh-oh. You can't hear anything? That's I can't. The problem. All right, hold on. So we, we are going to talk about uh, segments and how companies are taking advantage of those uh, market segments and the um, and the cohorts that go along with them. Uh, would Avery, I'm actually going to ask you because I see it up on your screen. <laughs> uh, can you give us a, uh, a kind of a picture of what segments or cohorts are in, yeah, in your own words? Yep. So basically, they're just a group of people that are interested in one sub one thing that they like. Well, no. They're a group of people with shared characteristics, and companies want to use that to basically get them to buy their product. To market to them. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so I, I asked you to bring in an example of a company or a product who has a def- well-defined market segment and is using it well. Um, Lucas, you are uh, joining us for the first time. Would you like to share uh, what you brought in? Yeah, sure. So I um, did the St- Stanley Cups. Mm. Um, yeah. The Stanley Tumblers. Yeah. And so it kind of dives into how it all kind of kind of started. So they did a complete rebrand with their cups or introducing a new line of cups in 2019, I believe. And it didn't really get going until some influencers started using them. Like I think Lainey Wilson was one example that they used. Um, and she was um, showcasing it on social media. And then I think what really took it off was that TikTok video where that car caught on fire. And <laughs> and the and the tumbler survived. Yes, right? and it, with it, ice. Yes, with ice. And it, it says the hashtag Stanley um, has amassed nearly three billion views on TikTok alone. So I think that it's definitely yeah. So it, it is a product that has worked. Yes, um, and it is now being uh, memed uh, quite ruthlessly. Which is a sign of success. If you can get to a place where you are memed, you are you are well known. Um, so, what is the the uh, market segment that has really latched on? Like how uh, the product has found success. Who have they found success with? I think, really, you can say college aged females, but I think everybody. I think, I mean, I've I've even got one. It was gifted. I didn't buy it, but <laughs> it was I. It, I think they are. They somehow are able to cater to everybody with their colors, especially. Mm. Um, so I think I've got a dark blue one, um, and then my, my fiance's got, I think two. One's pink and one's a tan color, um, but I think their demographics are heavily younger females. 
younger females. Um, what's the, uh, what do you think is the uh, attraction there? Like, so segments, we have some metrics that we use to, to build them out and they are different from personalities. Um, how, how might you um, structure or define that market segment? I don't know. I mean, what I think what makes them attractive is the fact that there's a they're they're really popular, um, and I think b the, the the different variety of colors and the ways they promote them. I think like for example, I think the biggest one was when they did the Starbucks um, rollout where it was you can get on Facebook Marketplace and they're selling them for five hundred dollars, and so it's. Um, I think I think the way they roll roll them out creates yeah. the so so the if if young females are the target demographic, um, are are they the ones who are spending five hundred dollars on Facebook to get the Starbucks? I mean, I mean not always. I don't think. I think people like myself that are trying to buy it for. <laughs> for somebody yeah <laughs> yeah uh currently on the stanley website the most expensive is a black chroma uh which is the black colorway with a the anodize is probably the best way like it's a bluish purple oh, rainbow yeah thing um out of stock but still there at 67 dollars for a forty ounce, yeah. Because I know we bought one for the the Super Bowl watch party, mm-hmm. and it was about sixty bucks. And it and it, I think I bought the big one, the large, the largest one. A they forty had. ounce, yeah. sixty four ounces, the big, big, big. Yeah, and it, it okay. is the one just below that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um. We'll we'll circle back with a couple of more questions about the products, but I want to go around to the others. Mitch, um, what uh, what is your product example? So I I did Lululemon. Um, as I wear it, I'll get back to it because the cohort that I think it, uh, represents is a little bit different than myself, but I think that they've been able to build their brand to where it can extend out of that, but we'll get to that when we get to it. So Lulu, another, um, successful brand, quite influencer driven as well. Um, just like, um, the, the Stanley Tumblr, um, who do you think is that they're key or most clearly defined uh, uh, target segment? I think like high school age to like middle-aged women. I think that that is part of their success is that their age group for their Mm. targeted segment is so diverse that they've been able to uh, have some serious success there. I think that obviously what started as a, a, design studio and then a Mm -hmm. yoga studio and they've built into um over 500 stores 650 stores and internationally Mm -hmm. um but i would just say to that it would be the high school to middle-aged women uh i see some nods around the the (laughs) the room um but i'm i am looking at the uh, at the products on the website um it's under the what's new section um this is not necessarily what's the best selling but what's what's new and what they are featuring um uh it's it's sort of giving sunday school vibes um 
but the uh, the age that it seems like is being targeted is a little bit on the older side. Um, like the, I mean, whatever. The, it's impossible to tell how old the model is, but the um, it it seems that it is a little bit more um, upscale, a little bit more professional than the uh, than just athletic apparel. Um, how and it, it, acknowledging that it is y- like your experience is primarily with younger people, um, but the a, a brand may struggle to grow at the speed and scale of Lulu if it is targeting like sixteen to twenty year old uh, people. What's the um, like? What's the major appeal that you think? Uh, is is happening here with those high school to college aged young yeah, I women. think that Lulu's just built itself into a, a luxury brand per se. Mm. And it's, even though it's impossible to find the logo on most of the things, uh, just to have Lulu create some sense of value to the individuals who are buying it. And then uh, they, like we've kind of talked about, they create an emotional bond or appeal with the the brand and then once that brand's able to take your emotions and they can take your money even faster i had never noticed this before that you do have to really look hard to find the logo on on these clothes like i just pulled up a pair of tights and it is on the fifth sixth picture in the gallery that you finally see a logo um what's um is there a particular piece of the demographic? Um, so age, income, education, um, uh, that you think Lulu has attached onto within those, um, like it's a luxury product. Is, is there something that these groups have in common? Uh, I would say probably income most so. There's a store in um, up in Carmel at Keystone, and I'll go there with my girlfriend, and it seems like there's, for the most part, it's within 20 years of each other age, mm-hmm. uh, like 18 to 40, uh, but I would say that they all seem to be middle to upper class, but obviously, like, just looking at them, you can't tell they could be in serious financial struggles and just have terrible spending habits, <laughs> but if like a lot of them are carrying around like expensive bags too. And you can just tell that they like the a, the brand and b the expensive and bougie look expensive, but, um, yeah, like there is, there is something very like basic about athleisure. Like they've, they've kind of stumbled their way into sports or uh, streetwear too, but like that yoga pant, uh, leggings thing is uh, not really pretentious either. Yeah. All right. Um, Bryce, let's come over to you. What uh, what product uh, do you think has a well-defined market segment and uh, captures it well? Uh, I believe that Titleist Pro V1s have a very good uh, target audience and targets them well. Okay. Um, and for, for those of us who... Uh, are not 
country club members. Can you <laughs> can you share what the uh, Pro V1 is? So basically, the Tylus Pro V1 golf ball is just a standard golf ball, but it is significantly pricier than uh, the typical golf ball. It's about $25 more than a typical 12-pack of balls. Um, the internet says they are $55 for a dozen. Yeah, it's com- that's compared to, I think the average is like $30. $4.58-ish per per ball. Yeah, so you definitely don't want to be losing those. No. So yeah, that's that's the audience I think they're targeting too is like better golfers. Mm. If you're like an average Joe, you're not going to want to buy those balls because you'll go right through them yep. and a $70 sleeve will be gone. Yeah. Uh, so uh, thinking along the same demographic lines, um, un- unlike um, Stanley Tumber- Tumblers and Lulu, which like you don't have to be a... Uh, yoga master to buy Lulu. You don't have to uh, either be a construction foreman or a uh, suburban mom to buy the Stanley Tumbler. Titleist and golf balls generally have a very specific audience. You're not just buying those for uh, for Pong on the weekends. So what is the, like, what's the uh, demographic behind, like you said, the serious golfer? Um, are there any other qualities that may be under consideration there? I mean, also, too, if you buy a Pro V1 golf ball and you see it's like someone sees you playing with it, they're probably going to also assume that you have money, too. So you could also look at it like that, like someone may just buy it to sure that they have money, too. Um, golf is honestly, a, there's a lot about golf and kind of flaunting money. You kind of want the most expensive clubs, most yeah. expensive bag, that type, type of stuff. Yeah. So, so targeting uh, maybe not the entry level um golfer or the entry level income like um i honestly have no idea like the the people on our teams here at the school are they buying pro v1s most likely not no because it's it's really expensive uh is there uh is there a product difference between uh this and any other golf ball um they claim to be softer, like when you hit it, it's supposed to compress a lot better than the other golf balls. A lot of the other golf balls have a lot harder core. And a softer core means that you get more control? More compression means ball go farther off your club. Oh, so it, because it compresses and then yeah. uh, launches back off. Okay. And the uh, it also says that it has amplified... No, sorry, I'm using the, the wrong... Um, uh, adjective there, maximum short game spin. So that's for <laughs> the the nod. <laughs> <laughs> I know what that means. Yeah. You want me to break it down? Yeah, Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so like the uh, the short game spin is like when you're around the pin. Um, you don't want the ball rolling very far from the pin, so okay. it's supposed to hit the green and kind of backspin, so it doesn't roll off the green. Off the green. Okay. So it flies farther because of compression and expansion and then it lands and it wants to spin backwards instead of forwards. Yeah. The spins, the spins also designed for the better golfer as well. Because, uh, someone like me who has, who slices so hard that he has damaged drivers, um, (laughs) that's, it's going to be lost on me. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Pretty much. Um, score. (laughs) Yeah. Like I said about the pro V one balls, um, I just lost I just lost my train of thought. Um 
it's not for the entry level golfer. Yeah. 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 Pretty yeah. much. Um, yeah. People, people, the typical golfer isn't going to be able to control their spins on the balls. So it, yeah. you, there's no reason for you to buy a pro V one compared to like the typical $30 sleeve. Yeah. I'm um, just like pulling up something else that's in the lineup real quick. Uh, True feel $25 a dozen. So 30 bucks cheaper for, for a dozen. I, yeah. I'm pretty sure that when I was playing golf, I just picked them up off the range. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, me too. Yeah. Locking them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, let's swing the mic over. Avery, uh, what do you have for us? So I actually found a, t- uh, a article that was more about, like, cohort marketing and how to do it mm. the right way. Okay. But it specified from some guy's blog the Nintendo Switch. Okay. And uh, can you talk about how the uh, the switch, like what's the what's the segment that the switch is going for? So this article said that they have like the three main segments: the um, adults around thirty-one to fifty-five who are gamers that love Nintendo, young adults seventeen to thirty who consider themselves primarily casual or social gamers and mid- to high-income parents with children ages 6 to 16. So, uh, people who, let's put it charitably, uh, grew up with Nintendo, uh, young adults, um, and this is, uh, saying 17 to 30, that is a wide range. Like, there is a a major, major difference between a 17-year-old and a 30-year-old. How, like, which, which one of these... Um, three segments, and sorry, and then the other one is high, mid to high income parents with children. There might be some overlap there between the um, parents with children and nostalgic adult gamers. But which one of these do you think is the most uh, either clearly defined or critical for Nintendo and the Switch? Honestly, I think the, the mid to high income parents, because most kids are the ones that are wanting it and not mm. as many like adults are going to go out and buy the game because they probably have some other form of like PlayStation, Xbox, something like that at home that they can use instead. So are you saying that is for both the young adults and the nostalgic adults in those, uh, in those bigger two categories? Yeah, probably because I honestly think that the young, the high income parents if they're buying stuff for their kids, like even 17-year-old kids, like they're probably still buying Christmas presents or something mm. like that, and they may give their 17, 18, even 19 or 20-year-old a Nintendo Switch if they ask for it. Okay. So y- your uh, your guess is that most of the Switches are being bought by uh, the mid- to high-income parents with children? Yes. Okay. Uh, and why would you buy the Switch instead of the Xbox or the PlayStation? Personally, it's the only one I would probably buy because I'm not that into gaming. And so this is like something you can do with a friend or something like that. Mm -hmm. And it's honestly the, I'm not into doing other things. I can play the games I want to play on the Switch and I won't need a, 500 i mean this isn't cheap but it's not 500 dollars for the ps5 that's coming out yeah or that's out yep so uh just googling it really quickly um 
a survey that was apparently done by Nintendo uh, shows that 43%, uh, which is the largest segment by far, of Nintendo Switch purchasers, this was 2019, so pre-pandemic and pre the Switch explosion, uh, was eight, um, adults aged 25 to 34, which is either going to be the casual gamers or maybe the the young parents. Um, and the is there like beyond the relatively affordable um, uh, gaming that you can get with it? What is it that sets do you think that sets Nintendo apart? And anybody else can feel free to jump in on that one. I think that you can play the games. The I think Nintendo, uh, the Mario games are pretty exclusive to the Nintendo uh, consoles. And mm-hmm. whether you play on Xbox or PlayStation, that's pretty much a classic. I think like the majority of people grew up playing those games on one console or another. Uh, so I think that there's some exclusivity to the games you can play. That would be what I'd have to say. And, like, so PlayStation and Xbox also have exclusive games, but there is a difference um, in which games end up being exclusive to those platforms. Right. And if you are buying something for your kids, like Call of Duty is sometimes Xbox first. Um, I'm trying to think off the top of my head which... Um, which thing ends up on the PlayStation, but they, they tend to be more adult-oriented games. And then there's Mario and Mario Kart and Splatoon. Um, the... Uh, just lost my uh, recording spot, and we are at 21 minutes, which is getting a little bit on the long side. Um, just... To quickly go uh, to go back around, um, we have um, established um, some some set uh, segments for each of these products. Um, Mitch, I'm going to start with you, and then come to Bryce, just so we don't do the the microphone dance again. Um, Mitch, for uh, for Lulu, they have clearly expanded into into um, men's fashion. Um, they are tipping their way into streetwear. Is there a, a segment that they are not reaching that uh, with their existing lineup, they could be reaching without changing anything on the product side? Yeah, I think completely. There's not an entire segment they're missing, but I think that they have limited quantity from what I've experienced in uh, kids wear. Mm. I think a lot of these bougie moms want like, Obviously, like they see their kids as a spitting image of themselves, and if that's how they're dressing, then their kids probably want to dress like their mom too, it, up to a certain age. So I think that, uh, and I found it interesting because the three segments that they are looking to grow, none of which were in the the child's product or children's mm-hmm. products or anything. So uh, I think that could be an interesting segment that they look into yeah um sorry i was just looking at uh, trying to google what profit margins might be on clothing brands um and everything is saying that like if you're making less than 50 percent margin then you're doing it wrong um but the that 
fashion in, on its own can hit 100 to 200 percent um, margin. And I'm assuming that that would be even higher for kids because you're using a third of the fabric and charging, I don't know, 60 percent of the price. Um, Bryce, over to you. Um, for uh, for the uh, top level of Titleist golf balls, is there a segment that they are uh, potentially able to reach without changing anything about the product itself? Yeah, I believe, like I said, I believe they're able to reach the better-than-average-level golfer easier than the rest of the competition. Um, to go along with their good golf balls, they have really good clubs, too. Those clubs have grown their brand immensely and they're very pricey clubs too. So you've already gotten the high end people to buy in on your clubs. Um, yeah. Then you put out the pro V ones and you pretty much the marketing segment form is more compression, higher spin, which yeah, if you're a typical golfer. You're not really worried about spin or how compressed the ball gets. You're just worried about getting the ball straight yeah, and get it in the fairway. So, <clears throat> so if you, if Titleist wanted to bring in, another uh slice of the market like not just the top tier um not just the uh the people who are obviously able to afford it or who want people to think that they can afford it is there is there another part of the golf market that could be captured with this product or do you think it's kind of one and done i i think it's one and done i mean i really don't think since like you can't really market outside what you're targeting with golf balls really there's not really an additional yeah, market you can go after with pro v ones you can make a different type of golf ball to target that different audience but that's about it yeah uh lucas quick come over to you uh stanley anybody that they haven't already been reaching with um with the uh tumbler of the moment so i mean not really because I, I was trying to i was gonna say oh alcohol <laughs> but they've got they've got one of those uh, too. they've got flasks they've got yep. sets they've got yeah everything and then like i don't know because the farther you scroll the more products i keep seeing and mm-hmm. I, then i went to clothing don't worry they have cl- they have apparel line and yes, so they it's do. they focus on men women children like they've got a kid's shirt that says roar and <laughs> and funny font like i i mean i i grew up camping and grew up with Stanley gear all over the place. Like the, the stove hasn't changed in 60 years. Um, so the, like Stanley's current popularity with the, uh, let's call them soccer mom brigade mm-hmm. is new, mm-hmm. but Stanley itself, like their website is Stanley 1913 for a reason. Yep. Um, is, is there a potential downside to, uh, let me, I, set this up. I'm going to ask a slightly different question. Is there a potential downside in uh, Stanley suddenly becoming a more female-friendly brand? I don't think not. I can see it both ways. One side being the cups, the mm-hmm. thirst quenchers, whatever they call them. Yep. Those prices, and are not prices, but sales have yeah. skyrocketed right. compared to their other lines of traditional thermos mm-hmm. um I think is start may, maybe for the majority population may go down, but compared to like the blue collar worker, they may yeah um, have that type of um, product. 
Yeah. I mean, you go to the web, the, their homepage, and it is no longer camping and outdoors. It is all tumblers yeah. all the time, and all the way down. When you look at their uh, products, you have to scroll a good ways down before you start hitting those. Because you, you hit the the beer pint sets before you hit the thermoses. <laughs> like I'm, it's at the very, very bottom. Yeah, the, it, it's the the milestones collection. We're proud to honor the 110 year legacy of innovation with iconic looks. And it's the old stuff, yeah. <laughs> the stuff that they sold for literally a hundred years. But don't this. worry, they have camo. Uh, you can't not have camo. Right? <laughs> All right. Uh, Avery, back to you. Oh, yes. Sorry. Can I add something. Absolutely. Something that I find interesting about uh, Stanley and just the other brands too. I think that Stanley, like there's a clear trend in the, I don't even know the thermos drinkware. Yeah, industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just seen in this wave of different products that have about like a year to two years of super popularity, and then mm-hmm. they kind of go. They don't like not exist, but there's a clear change in which brand it is. So I think that like people at Stanley should be seeing this, and like they should not assume that just because they're on fire right now that it's going to be like that for a long time coming. Yeah. I think that they need to like take a marketing stance at like longevity, like obviously take advantage of what you can now, but also have a plan for like, oh, there's going to be something after us. So no doubt about it. And mm-hmm. what like can squishmallows. We do? <laughs> yeah. What can God, we do to maintain the success a long time? Or Hydro Flask, which yeah. was yeah. Like, the That's popular thing, what, yeah. like a year and a half, two years ago. Uh, all right. Sorry. Avery, now over to you. Uh, can the Switch appeal, which, which is now it come out in like 2015 2016 like it's been a minute and has not been sig- significantly updated since then um is there somebody else that the switch can try to capture yeah so personally i don't think they talk about the older people like older than 55 but they kind of mm. grew up with nintendo like talking not like the nintendo but like mario and stuff like that that nintendo offers mm. because not grew up i shouldn't say that but like I know I talked to my grandma and she played games like that. (laughs) And so I think like just taking them back to when they were younger, Mm -hmm. um, they can market like, Hey, let's go back to then. And you can like play these kind of games again, but in a different way. Didn't Nintendo start out as a card company in 18 something. Um, so I am uh, not doing these, uh, numbers right. Uh, so, a person who is 55 was 18 when the Nintendo, around 18, when the Nintendo Entertainment System came out. So they were young adults, prob- were at least aware of it um, at the at the time. Um, do, how, how is it that, uh, like, what could Nintendo do that they aren't already doing? to get those customers in. Because if you, like, if you are between 55 and, let's say, 70, you, my mom falls somewhere in that range. Like, she has a smartphone. She has owned video games in the past. She's not uh, the first one in line for a new device, but, like, she can figure it out, right? What What is it that Nintendo could do, do you think? Um, I think more advertising towards the older people I feel like a lot of their advertisement is for young kids like you see children playing the game and not necessarily even adults playing the game it's specifically more 
kid friendly, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just pulling up this um, Nintendo's homepage. Uh, somehow I ended up on the UK homepage, but I'm going to assume it's relatively <laughs> the same. Uh, it's Mario, Splatoon, and uh, several throwaway games that no one's ever going to play. But like tucked in the middle here is Endless Ocean, Luminous something, which looks like you will be a dolphin and go swimming around. Like I can see hey. all of... Uh, my like parents' in-laws playing a game like this for a very long time. You can swim next to a sperm whale, apparently. Check that out. Cool. Um, we will... Uh, I forget what I was going to say. Thank you for, <laughs> for coming in this morning uh, for, uh, for doing your research and the conversation. 